Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to Changes. It's Annie McManus here and my guest today has experienced such a huge amount of change in her life. Charlotte Church became famous at 11, had a number one album in the classical charts at 12. She has sang for the Pope, the Queen, presidents, including at George Bush's inauguration. She even sat one of her GCSEs at the White House. She sold over 10 million albums in the first 10 years of her singing career alone. Since then, she has gone through so much change, experimenting with her music, hosting her own chat show on Channel 4, uh, hosting her famous club night, Charlotte Church's Late Night Pop Dungeon, as well as being a political activist, and all of this under the scrutiny of the press and the public eye. Today, Charlotte and her family live in rural Wales, where she runs a new wellness retreat called The Dreaming. There is so much to talk about when it comes to change. Charlotte Church, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Annie, how's it going? It's going really good. I'm so chuffed to meet you, first of all. Thank you for your time. Oh, my gosh. It's a pleasure. We asked you to have a think about the biggest change in your childhood. Tell me what you what you thought of for that, please. I think the biggest change in my childhood has to be when I got famous. What was the time period from when you rang in on this morning and sang that song down the phone to actually feeling like, fuck, I'm famous? I think that... Uh, I sang down the phone to this morning, but I was just about to turn 11. It was it was in the January before my birthday. I recorded my first album, Voice of an Angel, in August when I was 12. And then it came out in maybe the October, November. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember going down to the bus depot with my mum... And seeing and and we went there on purpose because I knew I'd be on the side of the bus. Yeah, and yeah, just just seeing all, yeah, all of the sort of advertising for Voice of an Angel on the side of all the buses, and it was just like, wow, this okay. is this is interesting. <laughs> so talk about maybe maybe a year from from that moment, and so just to get a bit granular about that time, you rang in for people who don't know on this morning, and you said, what was the context of that? Whose idea was that? What are your memories of it? My memories of it was I was down my nana's house because at the <laughs> at the time I was um, I was going to a private school um, and like because I got a scholarship as a girl chorister, right? And so we had longer holidays over Christmas. Sure. And so on this morning there was a talented children phone in, and I was off school and I was watching this morning. Anyway, my, my nana, bless her soul, she's gone now, but. She was an absolute telly fiend. So the telly was always on. Sure. Yeah, it was Richard and Judy and they were asking people, you know, who who had talented children or who knew your children themselves to, to call in. And so I just run. I didn't ask my nan. I didn't. My Auntie Caroline was there at the time too. I didn't ask my Auntie Caroline. I don't know why I didn't. I just didn't. And I just rang them. And I, I got through and I spoke to a researcher on the phone. And then they said, oh, you're going to have to get an adult on the phone to, to sort of allow you to, yeah. we'd love you to 
you know, talk about this and maybe even sing. And so then I, I went to tell my auntie Caroline, I was like, oh, I'm on the phone to this morning. I phoned for this talented yeah. children phone in. So it was it was totally of my own volition, which is quite interesting again. Oh my God, I love it. Um, and yeah, so then she was like, um, and part she was she was partly annoyed with me because she was like, hey, you're probably he's probably got an afford tune. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then then when she spoke to him and she was like, oh, okay, this is a bit of an opportunity. And you sang Pia Yezo down the phone. What happened next? Actually, you know, a great deal came from that this morning thing. Apart from my auntie, who's also a singer, loads of people in my family are singers, like all cabaret singers, right. doing the pubs and clubs and that sort of stuff. My auntie auditioned to be on Jonathan Ross's Big Big Talent Show. Mm. And because on this morning I'd introduced, or my auntie Caroline has introduced me, then they said, oh, well, since you've done that, why doesn't your niece come on and introduce you on this Big Big Talent Show? So we went up to London and it was all super, super exciting. And my auntie Caroline was singing an original song called Roberta. And yeah. it was all very brilliant. And then, yeah, I went on the show, was sort of uh, opposite Jonathan Ross, sat, sat on the couch and having a t- chat about Caroline. And and right at the end, he said, oh, well, do you want to give us a little burst? And so I did PAEZU again. And um, from that, like the heads of ITV got in touch with um, a manager who then phoned my mother when she was working at the council. She was a housing officer in the council. And this guy phoned my mother and said, literally his first words were, how would you like me to make your daughter very rich and very famous? Blah! That's I know, gross. It's totally oh. gross, isn't it? And what kind of a woman is your mom? Like, would she have been wooed by that, I think, or or disgusted? Like, I think she was just a bit like, who the fuck is this kid? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which we wondered for a long time whilst he was my manager. Um, but um, <laughs> Say no more. Absolutely. But she, you know, she's absolutely like loves the the glitz and the glamour and the showbiz. Like it was, right. it, it turns out to absolutely be um, a bit of a vocation for her, which she's, which she's lacking a bit now because she was just so good at it. Really right. good businesswoman, really sharp, proper, like, Rottweiler mm. um, because she was in defense of her cub you know of course so she left did she leave her job to then be on the road with you as a child yeah and it was so hardcore because also you know nobody wants to spend that much time with their parents at that point sure um, but my mother's a complicated woman she's fabulous and she's hilarious but she's an absolute nightmare right <laughs> Um, so it was, it was tough and it particularly for the first year, cause the first year my dad didn't travel with us. Okay. So it, a lot of it was me and my mum and that was a lot and a lot for me. Because you, you are 12 going, so you are entering puberty here or in, in puberty probably yeah. changing a lot anyway, physiologically, hormonally, there's lots going on. Those are kind of the times you want to spend a bit of time in your bedroom, just kind of like, you know what I mean? And it's totally. very exposing. I- and I was just like constantly on. And it was like, sure. you know, we were traveling to so many different countries. It was so exciting. It was so high pressured. Um, I would be doing like showcases, like my first sort of live shows. I was sure. recording TV specials. We were traveling so much. Did your mom have any other kids at that point? Uh, like- no. No. I was okay. I was an only, only child. Right. 
And then okay. when my dad came on board, because my dad isn't my natural father, but he's been my dad since I was three, and so he's my dad. Okay, yeah. And then when he came on board a year in, it was like such a relief. Right. He had done a lot of the nurturing of me growing up anyway. And so when he came on board, I didn't have to iron my own clothes. <laughs> <laughs> the pair of them are absolutely phenomenal people. They're really hardcore and growing up, like I had a hardcore childhood. But how do you mean by that? How do you mean by hardcore? I suppose it's like uh, that they, they, they were pretty volatile. Right. Everything's very out in the open with my family. Like the idea of anything ever not being said is so alien to me because right. everything is constantly always said no matter what environment you're in. Okay. So like, again, when we were traveling and it was the three of us and my mum and dad would have a Barney, oh, they didn't care where we were. Right. And it was like swearing, screaming blue murder. It was like, it's intense. Yeah. And they still like it. And all of them, like, it's, it's quite like that in, in, in the rest of my family as well. Like, everything is, it's, it's a bit Italian. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, maybe that served you well, being around that kind of directness of communication. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly, yeah. <laughs> How do you think it shaped you, I suppose, as a person? Um, I think that I have I very much became a peacekeeper. Interesting. You know, yeah. in part, like, and, I, and it did make, make me very much develop my intuition and my spidey senses. I think it made me a good listener in the way that I was often, and not just with my parents now, this is back into the sort of fame and stuff, I was often dealing with very complex situations right. and emotions and ideas and thoughts and motives and ethics. And it made me quite a good listener, I suppose, and really able then to quickly compute and synthesize and sure. understand yeah. things because it was a very high pressured situation all the time. we're talking about this through the prism of change and just the huge amount, like on every level change, geographical change, you're, ne you're moving all the time. You're not at school full time anymore. You're doing tutors on the road. You're performing. Your body's changing. Physiological change. Uh, so much change. If you strip it all away and it's just you and your voice in a room, how does that act of singing change you? I find it very, very soothing. I feel like there is a physiological effect that it has on my nervous system. I also feel like it's very soothing in terms of like any existential angst. I find it joyful the majority of the time. But then also sometimes it's, it really helps me to, to move to tears if I need to move towards. Right. Just moving through emotions, really. I really think that a big part of the reason why I was able to get through it all as well is, is that was my absolute root, you know? Yeah. When did you want to steer away from the classical music that you that had made you so successful like at what point did you want to start deviating from that you know through my teenage years I was always into a lot of different music sure you know from like Jill Scott D'Angelo Manic Street Preachers I mean all sorts loads and loads of different types of genres and styles I suppose it was when I got to about 14 and I was like, this is really uncool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sing Palace Vangelicas anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wanted to be relevant to my to my peers rather than mm. just loved by everybody's nans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which now looking back, yeah. I'm like, oh, what are you on about? It's, I love to be loved by the nans. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. But of yeah. course, at the time, it's just like, you know, that that relevance to your peers is so important. But also, like, to be honest, what I was m- most into was black music. Yeah. Um, like, just all of the music coming out of Philadelphia and Atlanta and, yeah, Erica Badu, India Ari, um, and just, and that, that's just all I wanted to do, really. Mm. Um, mm. But at the time, the record label were just like, you cannot go from being like this classical crossover starter hardcore new soul (laughs) and I was like why (laughs) and I don't think you know I never quite got there I've my music's been really experimental since but again I I don't think I've ever actually done I've never really given my full soul my full voice I, I watched you on stage uh, a video of you on stage doing the pop dungeon singing um on vogue what you gonna be because that one yes but you did it there trust me yeah it was like i was like wow i hadn't like never heard you sing like that before i i felt like that was soulful yes yeah Very. thank you <laughs> yeah i think for a long time i've been hiding I've had to be so contained over the years to be constantly watched, constantly observed. Um, mm. And I've had to protect a lot of people, including myself. And so, like, my ability to be vulnerable um, and to really write my soul yeah. just was completely inaccessible for me. But I'm, I think I'm, I'm almost there. So I'm very yeah. excited about what's going to come next. I feel like you have such an active, creative brain and you have so many ideas that are wildly different from each other. And there's a lot of courage there and fearlessness in pursuing those. I mean, you say that you've had to be contained, but to me, I feel like you've been so courageous. I've seen you doing John Peel lectures on misogyny and music. I've seen you on Newsnight talking about fucking nuclear warfare. Like there's a real fearlessness there too. A thick skin, I think. Yes. Because you, you really, you've stuck yourself out there a lot. Where does that come from? That kind of, I suppose, the courage to push on through the criticism. Uh, I definitely think that that's my, that's my parents and my family in general, like my granddad, all of them really, but, but particularly my mother, I would say. She is absolutely unafraid to say exactly what she thinks all the time which is very difficult for a lot of people (laughs) um but she just gives no fucks and calls out hypocrisy and stuff whenever she sees it I think my capacity for risk is high yeah which is which is interesting actually because I definitely do suffer with a lot of anxiety as well really Absolutely. But for me, it manifests in, this is what I mean, like I've had to be quite swan-like, I suppose. Okay. Um, And I see what you mean. Yeah, there's a shitload going on. (laughs) Because even just even like starting a school, you know, like if if you take away all the public shit, right, all all the public eye stuff, just starting a school from scratch alone is anxiety inducing, right? Let alone having the judgment of the public upon you on doing that. 
And then, you know, they're dreaming. Like, you have a sense of adventure about you as well, where you're kind of, there's a willingness to kind of jump off the edge of things. Yeah. Well, and not a, know where you're going to land. Like, Yeah, there's a really lovely phrase that I like that's in The Artist's Way, which is a book by Julia Cameron, which is great. Yes, um, I've heard of that book, yeah. Called, um, and she says, jump and the net will appear. Mm. And I quite like that. Um, because truly, that is the way that all of life is. I mean, sure, there's probabilities and you can make calculated risks and such. But, you know, life is like a big old hot of uncertainty. There are lots of chaotic things going on, chaotic principles of just existence and the way that particles organize themselves. And so I suppose it's just embracing that, really. Yeah. And then also, I, I think that the reason I have the courage to do these things is because I really give a shit. Like, yes. I love humans. I love humans. I love the planet. I love nature. Um, I'm, I feel so passionate about us not fucking it all up. I really think that, you know, a utopia or a, you know, a version of utopia is, is possible, is palpable. I can feel it. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Charlotte, let me get on to the next change piece. You kind of talked about being more in the world. Yeah, I just think that probably that it was the start of me being more of an activist, really starting to understand the way that society works. And not just understand, but care about. Because before I didn't really care about it. I didn't care about politics. I didn't, didn't think it had anything to do with me. I didn't even vote. What was the point, do you think? Was there a moment, an event, an experience that made you realise you did care? It was my husband. He was so politically alive and, like, really understood the nuances of it, like, really kept himself completely abreast of everything that was going on, had just, like, a super deep understanding about it. Mm. And so when I met him and I fell madly in love with him because he's so, his brain is absolutely brilliant he was talking about stuff that I just didn't understand like I just had no context for but it definitely stirred something within me and also you know I wanted to match him I didn't want to be okay. I didn't want to be a basic <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so and so yeah I just I just I learned a lot from him he's also an incredible teacher to be fair which used to really piss me off at the time I'd be like god you're so patronizing um, but now I but tell me about it anyway <laughs> totally, but now yeah. I really appreciate it so I, I think yeah. it was that and it was also that we were going through the Leveson inquiry at the time we got deep into the whole phone hacking thing and trying to collate evidence and build a case and then the more I started to understand the corruption there between sort of police press states 
the more I was like, oh gosh, this is this is really grisly. And I think that I've always been very motivated about injustice from when I was a little kid, from when I was in primary school. And I remember my best friend was mixed race. And, and there, there was a one boy that you used to racially abuse her all the time. And I used to just lose my mind and fight with this boy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that injustice actually has always been like a huge motivator for me. But but maybe through my adolescence then when everything became like all about me and, you know, just very different, um, I, I sort of lost, I lost that sense. But he brought mm. it back, really. So, yeah, I, I think that the, the second big change was that that real deepening into life where I just started to think, I really care about the people who are my people, which is the working classes, essentially, and, and how corrupt this system is, how blatant. And it's become even more blatant. Um, and did you find that you had detractors at the time? Did you have people in the public being like, who are you to talk about oh, that? Constantly. You've made millions of quid. You, you know, like... And how did you, I suppose, move through that to carry on being an activist in the public eye? Um, I actually think that that sort of criticism pushes me further. I I almost okay. need that to 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 fan my flames, right? Um, because I'm like, well, I'll fucking show you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So uh, it's it's sort of helpful. Can I ask you about, um, is it right that you left home when you were 16? Yes, yeah, I did. What was the context around that? And I suppose, how did that feel at the time? Because that's young. I mean, if you think about your kid now, oh, you know, yeah, it's an interesting thing to look back on, I suppose. Absolutely. I think that at the time, you know, as I said, traveling constantly with your parents throughout your adolescence yeah. is hard. We were living in each other's pockets. We had no space. They had so much control and say over my life and my choices that I just needed to break free. And they were, and they were trying to be fair to them like they were. But, but also, I was really famous and I'd had right. stalkers, I'd had kidnap threats. God. So they were, they were trying to give me freedom, but they were also terrified. Yes. Um, and so in the end, I just oh, cut those ties, which I think a lot of young people do if they feel stifled. And, you know, yeah. my mother still hasn't forgiven me for it to this day. You know, like it was super tough for her to be so involved in my life and for it all, everything to be centered around me and my life, all of her yeah. life to be about my life. And then yeah. for me to just sort of like cut that dead was really yeah. very difficult for them both, but mainly my mother. Yeah. Um, but I, I honestly feel like I couldn't have done anything else, you know? I was just so chomping at the bit for the world and my freedom. And mm. it wasn't that naughty, but it was, you know, like I went out with the boy from the docks who was a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were tearing their hair out, just like, oh my gosh, you can't do this. We were thinking that maybe you'd go and like be with Prince William or something. <laughs> and I'm like... Mate, we're all we're all peasant stock from Cardiff. Clearly not. <laughs> but that is quite symbolic of the choices you've made 
it seems across your life, like choosing to go to stay in car or in Wales yeah. and not move to London, you know, pushing back on all of the things that could manipulate you into being someone that you're not. Yeah. Like you've, it's like you've protected yourself very well. You've, you've managed to stay sane and grounded. Your life's been fucking mental. Yeah. How have you done that? Like, how are you so normal? I think the perspective, the word perspective is really important here. And I think right. even before, even before, you know, as exciting as those first couple of years were, I just had this sense that it wasn't that important. I just had this sense that it was just like, you know, with the pinch of salt, you know, the good and the bad. My parents were pretty wise because they were streetwise, you know? Right. And so they, they were always telling me stuff like, you've got to be nice to the people on the way up because there'll be the people on the way down and there will be a way down. And so mm. you just okay. you just be kind. And and so, yeah, they were full of like, a, you know, a lot of, of wisdom for that sort of stuff, as was the rest of my family, being from like, we're mm. a big, big Irish Catholic Welsh working class family. Um, and yeah, I mean, just, just coming back and do it, coming to family parties because we have loads of family parties, like, you know, funerals, weddings, birthdays, and it would always be in a pub in Calderton called the Duke of Clarence, which was a shithole. It's yeah. pit- they've knocked it down now because it's a shithole. <laughs> and all the family would sing. Everybody would bring like their mini discs, and because there's loads yeah. of singers in the family, so we wouldn't have any sort of yeah. disc or anything like that. Everybody would sing, and everybody would just be like. Oh, they just have a born and they get rat assed and all the kids, there'd be millions of cousins just about playing. Yeah. And it was just like it was so rooted, it was so grounded. Yeah. Just so unpretentious and delightful. But hard, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of hardship. There's, mm. you know. Mm. And so yeah, I mean, I felt like I was just so rooted in in my family and my upbringing. The rest of it was just like, you know, this is sort of fleeting and just like, I, yeah. I, I could just see yeah. it for what it was, I suppose. And then I think because I saw such extremes, like when I did yeah. go out with the boy from the docks, I lived with him and his mum and his sisters for a time in like a bloody two bedrooms, tiny council right. house. And we lived, there was a, a crackhead who lived opposite who was always coming over for fags. you have been living in... Five star hotels, absolutely hanging out with world leaders. Yeah, with like, world it's leaders, so extreme. Yeah, it's so extreme, absolutely. Like total chalk and cheese, and so and and everything in between. And so I think that that perspective just really, but it's just like how silly it all is. Really, mm. there's so much silliness to this whole thing. The fact that we're all running around with no idea about what it's all about, really what the point of life is, is hilarious. It's absolutely <laughs> hilarious and brilliantly silly and funny. And I suppose just that sort of the absurdity yeah. of it all just sort of takes away a lot of that, a lot of the fear. What's your situation at home? You have three kids, right? Yeah, 15, 14 and almost three. Okay, and what's that like, the, the age gap there? That's like a 11-year age gap, yeah. Yes, yes. So it's great. Absolutely wonderful. I started birthing really young. I was 21 when I had my first baby. 
actually just as the t- my, my two elders were becoming teenagers and sort of starting to get that angsty and and that mm. sort of stuff then the baby just came in and softened everything again and made everything full of love and gentleness and it's it's actually worked out really, really beautifully and built in babysitters. <laughs> that is such a touch. <laughs> I never thought about that. It's ideal. Wow. Does it make you look at your own life as a teenager? Like when you see your two kids at that age and think of what you were doing at that age and think, Jesus. Yeah, absolutely in part. Of course, it makes you reflect on your relationships, you know, in order to try and truly empathise, just to be able to walk with them through the experience, then you absolutely draw on your own experience. And it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Obviously, my experience was very different to the vast majority of, of people's adolescence. However, I also had a normal adolescence too, because I was determined to, because I was an adolescent. And actually, the only thing that was actually important was my friends and all the teenage stuff you know the rest of it all of the sort of you know the flying here there and everywhere and singing for all these important people and all of that stuff it was secondary yeah another thing you learn upon being a parent is how much of your own upbringing you unconsciously bring into your own parenting you know they always say that when you're a parent you should go through a course to kind of become aware of how you were brought up and and how you might want to do that differently. What have you learned about yourself and your own upbringing upon being a parent? I've learned a lot and and I suppose, you know, I've been doing it for quite a while now and I'm a much better yeah. parent now than I was when my two big ones were little uh, because I hadn't done the work and I still haven't done all of the work, you know, wherever a, a work in progress, but I feel like I've got a much better handle on it now. I think my boundaries are terrible. <laughs> so how do you mean by that? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm a bit of a rescuer and I want to sort of just sweep right. in and, and save everybody all the time. Uh, and so I tend to overgive and, and that sort of stuff. And yeah. But also I'm deeply, deeply passionate about children's rights and the sanctity really of young people being able to um, self-actualize like start start the process of really understanding mm. who they are to be able to be discerning to make choices to make good choices to fail um, I think all of that is so important and it's something that we it's just not built into the system at all it's not built into the system of education it's not generally built into parenting because there's this sort of hierarchy um, which generally means that the mm. parents are really in charge so we try I, I try and work it with my children as much as possible that I'm you know it's their life Charlotte you've cited the change you'd like to make as peacekeeping Mm. as opposed to pleasure seeking Mm. can you tell me a bit about that please well I think that a lot of us are programmed towards dopamine hits you know yes that's your smartphone right there. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's tech, whether it's food, whether it's sex, whether it's all of it. None of these things in and of themselves are bad, but like it's just this body that we're all working with is exactly the same pretty much as our, you know, pretty ancient ancestors, even like pre-agriculture. And I think that there was probably a lot of peace and that the pleasure stuff was 
it, you know, in, in bits and bods. And I think that we are constantly pleasure seeking. What's your pleasure seeking habits that you have to try and fight against? All of it, really. You know, I, yeah. um, I've just read an amazing book called Ultra Processed People which has really blown my mind. You know, I've been trying to do stuff with food around being healthier for ages, but because of the way I was brought up, which is with terrible food, turkey dinosaurs, spam, chicken char grills, microchips, like there wasn't a vegetable in sight unless it was completely stewed on a Sunday. Yeah. So I, I really find the food stuff really difficult but that book has been a real breakthrough for me and it's and it's all come very very easily but yes so I suppose I am trying to harness the practices in my life which take me to a peaceful place I think that's a lifelong seek what is the biggest change that you're going through in your life right now I think the biggest change that I'm going through in my life is I have built a fortress and I've had mm. to build a fortress to preserve myself. And I'm just feeling comfortable enough now, just about wild enough, rewilded, to start to sort of systematically take those down and be the soft, fleshy, vulnerable love bug that I truly am. <laughs> <laughs> And do you mean how you're presenting to the world or just in your house or like in every aspect of what you do? I think in every aspect. You know, there was right. there was a time when I didn't cry for years. I go years wow. without crying. And then when I met my husband, I <laughs> we spent the first year like I'd be, we'd get drunk and I'd be like like laying on the kitchen floor, just like play me some radio heads on the guitar. I need to cry, I need to try and cry, try and squeezing out tears to him singing me radio head song. <laughs> and did you manage? Yeah, and that was that has been sort of the start of these walls oh, starting to come down. It's a very beautiful story oh. that your husband helped you learn how to cry. <laughs> Very, very beautiful. Um, and I suppose, you know, I'm still working at it because I still, that that's my, the, the way that I would naturally deal with it is just very like, I have capacity, I am capable and I am strong and I mm. am, you know, I, mm. I don't let the emotion of it get to me. But that's the whole point of life really is to, is to, just to feel it all um, until I become a peace-seeking missile, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> but until then... I need to cry my tits off in all sorts of different <laughs> places and people and formats. And I love it. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of crying. Mm. I cry at everything. I'm a cancer. I just cry at everything and anything. Um, okay. We have to mention, we have mentioned briefly, but the dreaming, it is your new retreat. It looks beautiful. To me, that is a form of change. That is activism in itself. Absolutely. You trying to change people, see how, how they see themselves, how they see the world, how they move through the world. It's a beautiful thing. What can we tell people about that? Like they can go on the website, right? I'm sure it's all booked out, but. No, 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 not at all. We've got lots of spaces. So yeah, please come and see us. Uh, I'm there pretty much every other week as a as a saddle practitioner, which I love. And it's so humbling to get to hear people's stories. But I think yeah. that the way that I've designed it is so that it's for everyone. Like no matter what's going on in your life, whether it's just that you need a bit of peace and relaxation and your job's really intense, whether you want a tech detox, whether it's that you're deeply right. grieving something, whether it's that 
you want to reconnect to for, for fun and joy, whether you want to just go and wander in the woods and be absolutely awestruck by the beauty of it all. Um, mm. Yeah, it's an unbelievably magical place. I cannot tell you, Annie. It's crazy. Oh. The magic is oh. tangible and it is literally everybody who comes there. That's just the words that keep falling out of people's mouths. They're so magical. Oh my God, it's so magical. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's the dreaming. Go look it up. Go check it out. Charlotte, you're amazing. Aww. Thank you so much. I just thoroughly enjoyed that whole hour. Oh, and I thank you for too. your time. Thank you. Because you're so, so busy. So I really appreciate it. Oh, no worries. Thank you so much. What a beautiful program you've got. I really enjoyed it too. Do please rate, review and subscribe to Changes. It is so appreciated. And if you fancy sharing it on social media too, that would be amazing. The more people we can get listening to these episodes, the better we want to tell our stories far and wide. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. And I'll be back next week with more. See you then. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.